This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... And we have already made the necessary preparations to immediately uh, dispatch our next humanitarian supplies by air and by road uh, as soon as the humanitarian routes are open. Jude Van Wee, a spokesperson for the International Committee of the Red Cross on sending aid to Ethiopia's Tigray region. Details coming up also. We hear from a young climate activist ahead of COP27. And we will take a look at next week's elections in the United States. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Today marks two years since war broke out in Ethiopia's Tigray region between Tigrayan forces and the federal government and its regional allies, including neighboring Eritrea. Analysts say the war has left hundreds of thousands of people dead, millions displaced, and a trail of atrocities and war crimes on both sides. But a truce announced Wednesday after South African-hosted peace talks by the African Union has raised hopes that fighting could end. Mohamed Yasuf reports from VOA's African News Center in Nairobi, Kenya. Ethiopia's government and the Tigray rebel group have agreed to end the two-year conflict after a week of talks in South Africa. Speaking after the agreement, former Nigerian President Olesegun Obasanjo said the deal marked a new dawn for Ethiopia. The two parties in the Ethiopian conflict have formally agreed to the cessation of hostilities, as well as to systematic, orderly, smooth, and coordinated disarmament, restoration of law and order, restoration of services, unhindered access to humanitarian supplies, protection of civilians, especially women, children, and other vulnerable groups, among other areas of agreement. The agreement comes after 10 days of talks in Pretoria, South Africa, mediated by the African Union, led by Obasanjo. The deal calls for the Tigray rebel group to lay down their arms in exchange for reintegration and the return of the National Army to the region. With mistrust on both sides, experts say this part of the agreement may be difficult to fulfill. The warring factions also agreed to end hate speech that has foiled much of the two-year-old conflict. The agreement is seen as a major breakthrough after the warring sides failed to come to the table to find ways to end the war that has claimed the lives of tens of thousands and displaced millions. Obasanjo say the agreement will be followed through. The agreement also takes care of assurance of security for all concerned within and outside Ethiopia, monitoring, supervising, verification of implementation will be carried out by the AU high-level panel. What you have achieved, delegates from both sides, working together among yourselves, we salute you, we commend you, and we congratulate you. Tigray rebel group spokesperson Getachew Reda warned of spoilers who will try to sabotage the peace deal. 
Rada said his side has made a painful concession and called on the international community to ensure the peace agreement is implemented. Speaking at an online press briefing organized by Refugees International, Solomon Mezgebu, president of the Tigray Human Rights Forum, said this time Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed will have to abide by the agreement. Unfortunately, Abiy is determined and his main motive going to this negotiation, as he has demonstrated for the last uh, two years, is buying time, buying time, buying time. He's stuck now because there are witnesses. It's now a formal process. It's now a very structured process. Uh, heavy weight folks are involved in this process. So this is a very good start, even though I don't have high hopes, but it's a very good start because the world is witnessing who is saying what and who is doing what. So I think it would have some pressure. It would be still dictated by what's happening in the ground. I mean, he would continue to buy time, to try to buy time. I'm not sure he would continue to do that. He would have those opportunities again. In a statement, Abiy Ahmed said the agreement was monumental in moving Ethiopia forward. He said his government was committed to implementing the agreement. Ethiopian forces in the two-year conflict have received military backing from Eritrea to push forces from Tigray and concerns were raised about how Asmara will react to the agreement. Abdullahi Halake is a Refugees International Senior Advocate for East and Southern Africa. He says the influence of Eritrea in the conflict in the north of Ethiopia cannot be wished away. I think um, that is probably one of the weaknesses of this um, this peace process, the way it's structured. I mean, I can appreciate the wisdom behind it. Part of it was, you know, to get Abiy away from uh, Eritrea so that you can create a, a symmetry where now Abiy uh, feels like he has to negotiate. But the danger there is really Abiy is practically beholden to Asmara. His military is fairly decimated. He doesn't have a ton of, uh, you know, forces apart from the conscription that and, and, and also the Fano militia. So it's very it's a very high wired uh, position that has been ha- has been taken uh, by the international community, particularly the United States. So we are really stuck with Asmara for foreseeable future. Ethiopian forces and the Tigray rebel group reached a similar agreement to end the fighting earlier this year. But the two sides resumed fighting in August, breaking an almost five-month-long ceasefire. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Aid groups say they are ready to deliver much-needed food and medicine to Ethiopia's northern Tigray region after the warring sides agreed to a ceasefire Wednesday. But the unhindered access for aid has yet to happen, as Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The deal between the Tigray rebels and Ethiopia's federal government commits federal officials to ensuring unhindered humanitarian access to Tigray, which is in the grip of one of the world's biggest humanitarian crises. Some five million people there need humanitarian assistance, while doctors at the region's flagship Ida Hospital say they have run out of medicines to treat sick patients. Representatives of the World Food Programme and the International Committee of the Red Cross told VOA their organisations are ready to send trucks carrying air supplies into Tigray, but have not been given the green light yet by the federal government. Jude Finwe, a spokesperson for the ICRC in Ethiopia, welcomed the signing of the deal Wednesday, saying the conflict has caused vast civilian suffering since it broke out two years ago. 
The ICRC remains committed to supporting the population of northern Ethiopia and we have already made the necessary preparations to immediately uh, dispatch our next humanitarian supplies by air and by road. Uh, as soon as the humanitarian routes are open. Roughly one-third of children and three-quarters of lactating mothers screened into Gray last week displayed signs of malnourishment. Meanwhile, fighting has displaced around half a million people in northwestern Tigray. Most of them are cut off from aid distributions. On Thursday, a spokesperson for the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs told reporters they are in contact with the government of Ethiopia and others to resume the movement of aid convoys and personnel to the cities of Mekele and Shire. Aid deliveries to Tigray have been severely restricted since the war in northern Ethiopia began. No aid trucks have entered the region since fresh fighting erupted on August 24. Aid deliveries have resumed to parts of the Amhara and Afar regions next to Tigray that were also affected by the fighting. Fred Harter for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Meanwhile, authorities in Tigray say Ethiopia has carried out drone strikes on civilians less than two days after signing the peace deal. The French news agency AFP reported that the spokesman for the Tigray People's Liberation Front, Kende Gabrahiwet, said on Twitter that the attacks occurred yesterday in the city of Maicho. He did not specify casualty figures. So far, there has been no response by Ethiopia or the African Union. As climate impacts intensify across the world, high-level delegations from UN member states will gather in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, next week for the latest round of climate talks. Journalist Ruben Chama spoke with Nancy Wanja, a youth climate activist who grew up in the Matare, one of Kenya's informal settlements where the poor and undocumented live. She began by explaining the issues facing girls and young women in the informal settlements. We've seen that the impact of climate change has adversely affected the girls and young women, especially in Madar Islam. We have an increase in cases of teenage pregnancy, child marriages, school dropouts for the teenagers, and also increased cases of new HIV infection. As a girl advocate, uh, we've been trying to educate girls and include them in the conversations of climate change uh, because since we've seen these girls' experience is all because of poverty, all as a result of climate change. So that's why the inclusion of girls and women in matters climate change. And Nancy, what would you say is the most difficult part of your job? What are the challenges as you work with communities? One of the biggest challenges we've encountered as a climate change advocate is that creating awareness on matters to do with environment conservation and also trying to bring everyone on board when it comes to climate action has not been easy. It calls for a whole lot of effort when it comes to behavioral change. Our idea is to, or goal is to pioneer for an efficient garbage collection system from the household level, where the waste does not end up in the public spaces. So there's a lot of sensitization we've been doing, but it's still not enough. So we've also partnered with the government, the environment office to be specific, uh, to provide our residents with temporary holding points where we can control the issue of waste just ending up anywhere and everywhere and also uh, to prevent the issue of the waste being thrown in Madari River. That has been a biggest challenge for us and also trying to bring the youth together to do something that is in line with climate action, and also to
promote their contribution in the in this course has also not been easy. Looking at it from a Pan-African perspective, what impact do you think these types of initiatives, the work you do, have on the African continent? We believe that the provision of renewable energy in the form of briquettes is a plus for not only Kenyan but also the African continent as a whole. Because uh, number one thing we are trying to work around stopping deforestation and also when we look at the commitments our countries made in the COP conferences, the idea was to phase out the burning of coal and fossil fuels by 2050. So we believe that these initiatives, especially motorbikes, is one of the key solutions that the African continent can greatly benefit from. We are doing away with deforestation and the impact of burning coal and fossil fuels. Do you feel African governments are doing enough yes. to support the kind of work you are doing? Are there some policy changes that you feel need to be effected? So I believe that uh, the governments are doing something, but it's still not enough because there are a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great or amazing jobs that are inclined to climate action. So when we get the support, support in terms of not only finances, but also technology and uh, matters to do with mentorship, coaching and incubation. If these innovations are supported well enough, we can have great solutions that can help do away or mitigate the impact of climate change. That was Nancy Wanja, a youth climate activist who grew up in Matare, one of Kenya's informal settlements, speaking with reporter Ruben Chama from Nairobi. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Americans head to the Tuesday polls to vote in what are called the midterm elections. Over the next few days, VOA Africa will be reporting on the elections and their significance. My colleague, Kate Pondawson, recently spoke with VOA executive producer Steve Reddish, who has covered U.S. elections for decades. He tells her that although it's not a presidential election, the midterms are important to U.S. policy. The midterm elections are those elections for Congress, for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. And they're called the midterms because they come in between the four-year term of the U.S. president. The U.S. president is elected for a four-year term, but members of the House of Representatives, the lower chamber of the U.S. Congress, they're elected every two years. So there's an election for the entire 435-seat Congress every two years. And the U.S. Senate, which has 100 members, one-third of the U.S. Senate is up for election every two years. They are U.S. senators are elected on a six-year term. Historically, when a new president is elected, the midterms that come after that election, two years after the election of the new president, historically, the party of the president just elected or reelected usually loses seats in Congress. The reason? Because most of the time, these midterms are, de- are, are kind of a referendum on the job the new president is doing. And often, the first couple of years of a president's term is fairly rocky. 
they're trying to find their footing. And as a result, um, there is a tide of unpopularity against the new president. It's not just the federal offices that are up for grabs in a midterm. Most states and communities have different elections going also the same day. What are some of those? Most states have elections for their state governments, their, uh, whether it's a, uh, a state Senate or a state House of Representatives, state assembly. Most of the states have elections for those bodies along with the state governors. And then if you filter all the way down to, lo- to local municipalities and local um, towns and cities, they also have elections in November. We're going to get um, more than 30 governor's races for, for the states. Almost every single state has, um, has races and elections for their House of Representatives and their state Senate. On the federal level, how important are midterms to national policy, to the setting of policy? So the midterm elections are important in setting policy because the Congress is going to likely change, at least the composition, whether or not the balance of power, whether or not Democrats or Republicans hold the Congress, there will be changes within the Congress. So new people come in, old people go get unelected or retire. And so Every two years, we have a new Congress with a, that is a new composition of people. And the, while the president may want uh, a certain policy to pass and certain laws to pass and want to get various different spending uh, bills through Congress, it really is going to be up to the new Congress, whether it's a Republican-led um, Congress or a Democratic-led Congress, to be able to get those policies that the president wants through. That was our colleague Steve Reddish speaking with VOA's Kate Pondawson about next week's midterm elections in the U.S. To stay up to date on the U.S. elections, check out voaafrica.com and voanews.com and stay tuned to Africa News Tonight. Somalia's military says its latest offensive against al-Shabaab terrorists in the central part of the country yesterday killed more, more than 100 militants. Witnesses report heavy gun battles and airstrikes. Mohammed Dessain reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. The Somali National Army, or SNA, said Friday that it had conducted an operation against Islamist militant group al-Shabaab in the country's central provinces, killing over 100 fighters in a news conference. Somali Defense Ministry spokesman Abdullahi Ali Anot said the army conducted the operation with the support of local militias. The main operation took place in the vicinity of El Hariri, located on the outskirts of the town of Adenyabal in the middle Shebel region residence, who spoke to VOA over the phone reported heavy gunfire and eye strikes targeting al-Shabaab militants. He says on Wednesday, we told you that there was a fierce fighting 
village of Hawala Hussein Kura Dere, followed by a large operation that started on around 9 a.m. on Thursday morning that took place in El Hareri, where the militants were gathering a large force to defend Adeyabal. He says the operation was conducted by Danab forces along with revolutionary forces. Danab is the army's U.S. trained special forces unit by revolutionary forces are not means local armed militia. The spokesman confirmed that the operation was a combined land and air operation but didn't say which country conducted the air strike. The offensive comes six days after twin bombing Mogadishu that killed more than 120 people and wounded more than 300 others, mostly civilians. Somali president Hassan Sheikh Mahmoud recently announced a total war against Al-Shabaab militants since his announcement. The military, working with militias, has captured some strategic towns and villages from Al-Shabaab. The Al-Qaeda-linked group has been fighting since 2007 to remove the Somali government and imposed its strict vision of Islamic law on the Horn of Africa nation, Mohamed Daisane. For VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. In September, the government of Somalia announced aggressive new measures aimed at crippling the Al-Shabaab terror group's ability to raise funds and to conduct militant operations. In the spirit of this endeavor, the United States Department of State and Department of the Treasury announced sanctions against leaders of the Al-Shabaab terrorist group and against a network of individuals who facilitate funding the group. On October 17th, the Department of State designated five Al-Shabaab leaders as specially designated global terrorists under executive Order 13224 as amended. Mohamed Mire is a senior al-Shabaab leader responsible for strategic decision-making and leads the group's interior wing, overseeing many of the group's activities in Somalia. Yasir Cheese is an al-Shabaab leader and the commander of the armed wing, which conducts attacks. Yusuf Ahmad Haji Nurao, also known as Gis Adeh, runs al-Shabaab's intelligence wing, the Amniat, which plays a key role in the execution of suicide attacks and assassinations. Mustaf Otto is a senior Amniat official responsible for coordinating and conducting attacks in Somalia and Kenya. Muhammad Abdi Aden is an Al-Shabaab leader. He took part in planning the 2019 attack on Dusa D2 Hotel in Nairobi, Kenya, that left 22 civilians dead. At the same time, the Treasury Department designated a network of nine Al-Shabaab financial intermediaries who hold leadership roles and act as facilitators between Al-Shabaab and local companies. Companies. Al-Shabaab extorts money from local businesses to finance itself and its affiliate, Al-Qaeda. The sanctioned financiers are Abdullah Jerry, a weapons smuggler, Khalif Abdallah, who has served as Al-Shabaab's finance leader for collecting money from non-governmental organizations, Abdi Karim Gegale, a deputy within Al-Shabaab's finance department, Abdi Samad, an Al-Shabaab militant who has been in close 
contact with the Al-Shabaab Senior Leadership Council, Abdirham Nouri, an intermediary between Al-Shabaab and the local private sector, Mohammed Hussein Salat, Ahmed Hassan Ali Suleiman Matan, and Mohammed Ali Badas, who are part of an Al-Shabaab smuggling and weapons trafficking network in Yemen. Finally, the U.S. Department of State is offering a reward of up to $5 million for information on Hassan Afguye, a key leader of Al-Shabaab. The United States is focused on identifying and disrupting Al-Shabaab's illicit networks operating in Eastern Africa, said Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence Brian Nelson. We will continue to take action against the weapons smuggling and fundraising activities of Al-Shabaab and other Al-Qaeda affiliates. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Shogun Chong, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Thank you.